0: Had people say to me, like, oh, they'll like you because you're Asian. And I'm like, what do you mean? Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Peace Podcast. Today we'll be talking about growing up Asian. And this is kind of a compilation of community responses we got through our Instagram page that we sent out a while back. I'll introduce myself first, I guess. My name is Michelle Wen. I am a senior in high school from New Jersey. I am a Chinese American. And I am the arts lead for The Peace Project.
1: So cool. Um, So my name is Benicia. I'm a staff writer for The Peace Project. And I also obviously produce some of the podcast episodes. And I'm a senior from SoCal. So when I was growing up, I was born here in
0: the U.S. in New York. And then when I was about two and a half, my entire family moved to Shanghai in China. So I went to an international community, international school there. So I was really surrounded by this whole expat community. Um, which is why even though I feel like I have that experience of living in Asia, it has never been that full like in Asia, in Asia, right? So I was always surrounded by people who were like me. I was always speaking English. I went to a bilingual school. And then I came back to the US to a private school in New York City at about age 10 when I was in fifth grade. And so that was going from, you know, the school in Asia to a predominantly white institution here. So that's kind of been me. And then there's And obviously, like the culture shock of moving between countries and then also just the specific culture of going to a PWI.
1: Exactly. So I know that um, international schools, especially in Asian countries, even though they're like in an Asian country, they're also kind of westernized in a sense. But at the same time, it is like a culture shock. Well, with my own experience, I was born in California and have lived in California my entire life. But and like most of my family lives in either America or they live like in Europe and like just around like really super like Western countries. But that just kind of happened in my generation. So like my grandparents live in India and most of like my distant family members live in India. So um, it's like it's a weird balance because I'm Indian and I'm also American. And a lot of my family members have so many different cultures and so many different like expressions that are reflected into my heritage well so this is a response that was anonymous through the link um it basically says being unable to like asian things and things associated with asian culture um is difficult because sometimes people make fun of people for liking them um i was always assumed to watch anime and people would always call me an anime character because of how i looked like this turned me off to want to wanting to associate with anime, and I had internalized racism towards myself regarding listening to music like K-pop because of the negative associations and uh, presumptions around it. I didn't want to give people any reason to fit me into a stereotype because I was trying so hard to be an actual person with likes and dislikes like everyone else, so I had to turn myself off to culture.
0: So what I think is really interesting about this response is this idea of internalized racism and a lot of the cultural dissonance that often comes with being an Asian American. Um, a lot of times, especially with immigrant culture, you feel that you have to reject one culture for another. So I feel like I've definitely had that experience of um, kind of turning off of things that would be traditionally associated with my ethnicity because I felt like I was fulfilling a stereotype or if I wasn't doing that, I was defying a stereotype too much and that that was also wrong.
1: Um. exactly and that's definitely I like the word cultural dissonance because that really like encompasses the feeling um I know like being an Indian American there's this phrase called being a coconut like you're white on the inside and brown on the outside there's banana (laughs) too (laughs) yeah (laughs) and it makes you feel like people used to call me coconut sometimes because I would try to assimilate into like American culture to fit in or people would call me like too Indian or too Asian so there's definitely this balance that you always like try to fight yourself internally to yeah. the into. I definitely felt that too I mean I was definitely
0: called whitewashed people always joke about being a banana if you're right. East Asian and a lot of that I think goes back to we have a natural instinct to assimilate but when we assimilate too much we're seen as almost like a sellout to our culture like we're exactly. we're letting go of our culture for mainstream American or whatever's considered mm-hmm. white American culture.
1: Yeah exactly and this is also something Um, that kind of like this is a weird relationship but when I go back to India and I see my cousins that live in India sometimes I feel like they're more Americanized or westernized than I am because of the way that they're like so they romanticize westernized culture so much Mm -hmm. compared to like we're kind of like we kind of rebel that we're at a stage where we like try to accept our Asian identity
0: Mm -hmm. yeah I think definitely the idea of what it really means to be Asian and a lot of that comes with people don't really know what it means to be Asian American, like having both of those terms at once, that balance that you were talking about before is so hard to strike that people automatically assume you're one or another. You're either Asian or you're American. You can't be both at once and you have to choose one or the other. If you're not choosing one or the other, then people are still trying to force you into one or the other. Um, Which I think is why a lot of these comments about like having this internalized racism towards liking things from your own culture is so hard hitting because it's like you have a right to like your own culture, right? But then at the same time, you're like, oh, if I do it, I'm being too Asian, whatever that means.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So should we jump right into it and talk about the next submission? So the next one says, being in poverty was a huge shame for me. Asians in my area typically were middle class or upper class. Asian poverty is rarely talked about despite the prevalence due to the model minority myth. I struggled for a long time with my poverty in silence. Applying for scholarships was always really hard for me because I couldn't apply to minority scholarships and wasn't good enough for the scholarships that white people with 4.0s and high test scores applied for, competing with people who were privileged enough to not work during school or get tutoring for standardized
1: testing. So yeah you you wrote a piece called the about the model yeah so like that definitely fits into this and Mm -hmm. um this idea I know being a part of like the Asian American community when I like when my parents first moved to America they weren't like the highest class like we lived in an apartment for a really long time and it was almost like it almost felt like embarrassing like at that young age because every one of your friends live in houses and like you live in an apartment and of course that's not close like nothing close to people who live in like way lower socioeconomic statuses and who are homeless but it was definitely like I definitely understand that sense of like oh this is embarrassing like this is like I can't talk about this because I'm Asian and everyone in the Asian community like is upper class or middle class.
0: I think, yeah, that definitely ties back to the fact that the model minority myth kind of props Asians up as, like, the successful minority group in the U.S. So then all of this kind of wealth gap that, like, I think Asian Americans have the largest wealth gap of any group in the U.S., it's completely erased in normal conversations where we talk about the Asian American experience. And then at the same time, you have that layer of, um, like, almost whiteness being equivalent equivalent to wealth. I think that's something I talk about a lot with my friends, especially going to a private school in New York, that your proximity to whiteness is also kind of your proximity to wealth. And so there's kind of this idea of like, while whiteness often means success in the U.S., which also it's obviously not exclusively that, like there are obviously people who are of lower socioeconomic status who are white, but because success and whiteness are so closely tied, financial success is often... um seen as like wait I can't I'm not saying this right <laughs> I keep losing my train of I, thought.
1: I totally I totally get what yeah. you're saying I feel like I feel like we can go into a whole conversation about like proximity to whiteness yeah. and like how that relates to capitalism and racial capitalism mm-hmm. that's definitely something that's really topical right now especially when people are seeing how um systemic racism plays out mm-hmm. in a greater amount of people obviously people have known that for years but yeah. um I think that definitely goes into like in my colorism episode I kind of touched in how like wealth was also seen as proximity to whiteness so if Mm -hmm. you had lighter skin you were seen as more beautiful Mm -hmm. and wealthier so that's definitely something that ties in yeah
0: going off of the idea of having like especially the immigrant experience and the idea of the American dream I feel like a really common experience for a lot of Asian American children is this idea of having to fulfill your parents or your family's expectations of the American dream having that financial success and kind of almost making America and I think that's going back to the model minority myth it's what really promotes this false idea of if you work hard in this country you'll always Mm -hmm. succeed because as I mean the submission obviously points out like there are so many situations where you're just caught in between and your like lack of financial success is seen as your own fault or you blame it on yourself yeah. instead of addressing the actual systemic issues.
1: Exactly. And the whole idea with the American dream can be really toxic within the Asian American community. Cause that leads to a lot of like mental health issues when someone doesn't mm-hmm. reach that like pinnacle of succession. Like they're not in that higher socioeconomic status. They're not in that neighborhood that specific neighborhood within an area they're not in that specific school district you're seen as you're kind of shunned within the community itself
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um okay so the next submission Mm -hmm. is about dating so growing up this is what another person said growing up dating was very hard my parents would not let me date because school and sports were important so I never dated until I got into college and lived on my own growing up I hated how I looked because all the girls that were getting boyfriends were skinny blonde haired blue-eyed girls I would get made fun of because of my eye shape um, and my skin color and the only good part of my appearance, appearance was that I was a darker complexion when i would date in college i would find myself going out with boys with asian fetishes i subjected myself to this because i didn't think boys would like me for me i thought i would never find someone to love me for myself i live in an area not heavily populated with asian people and i've always been self-conscious because i'm a bigger girl and i didn't want to be bigger than my soulmate
0: so i think one of the biggest things these submissions bring up is the idea of a beauty standard and how that really plays into a lot of social interactions for Asian Americans. So this is something I've definitely dealt with. And I relate a lot, especially to the first century because I've had so many conversations with my Asian friends that like, how do you go about navigating high school when there's so much like dating culture going on when you're part of a minority group where you feel like people are either going to fetishize you or they're not going to like you because of your race. Like it feels like that's yeah. the binary you have to work with. And there's no one in between <laughs> or there's virtually no one in between. Yeah. I mean, I've read a lot about this and I've read like different essays talking about it and studies. And it's this weird thing where Asian women especially i think don't feel like their beauty can be recognized without it going overboard into fetishization and i think mm-hmm. there's definitely this rise almost recently in yeah. asian fetishization or maybe it's always been around and i just wasn't <laughs> aware of it because yeah. i've definitely had people say to me like oh they'll like you cuz you're asian and i'm like what do you mean like why would they <laughs> or at the same time there's like the cookie cutter stereotype of what beauty is in high school and when you don't fit into that you're not considered as attractive anymore
1: yeah I know I I watched like an Anna Connor like YouTube video about like the fetishization of Asian women and like honestly I don't know how you guys go through it like there's (laughs) so many like creeps out there just like (laughs) I know it's so creepy I mean I I like I haven't dated in high school just because like has always kind of like oh school extracurriculars yeah. like just like drilling that. Down. <laughs> no, I'm exactly <laughs> or, the same. <laughs> yeah, or when like a boy comes out, like I'm super oblivious. Like I don't know, when I just don't know. <laughs> like, that's just me. But I mean, yeah, I mean, when the opportunity does come to me, sometimes I feel like oh they don't they don't like me for me. They just like me because of my culture. They just like me because they're fetishizing me. And I've had experiences where like like boys would like almost, like, harass you or, like, DM you a lot and stuff. And it's just, you're like, you've never met me. You've never talked to me. Like, why are you, why are you, like, yeah. why are you so desperate? Yeah.
0: I think it goes back to this idea of, like, the objectification of women. But especially with race, it gets taken mm-hmm. a step further. And also, Asian women aren't the only ones who have to face this. I've heard people, like, Black women, who have told me oh my way God. worse things that have happened. Yeah. And all of it's just, it it's just really hard especially when you're so young when you feel mm-hmm. like your race is a defining factor in exactly. like, your social interactions and that shouldn't be a thing when you're so young it should just be, yeah I mean it's a huge part of your identity that I think you should respect and embrace and celebrate but it's not something you should be thinking about when you're like I don't know dating in high school like I, I know
1: it's it's I mean, I know, like, within, like, the Indian community, and I've heard this in the black community as well, there's almost this, like, stereotype where, like, oh, like, I only date lighter skinned girls, or I only date girls with, like, curly hair and light skin, like, I would never date, like, a dark skinned girl who, and they almost, like, animalize the girl, and they call her, like, a monkey or something, which is, like, totally disrespectful on so many levels, and yeah, that really plays into again proximity to whiteness which keeps coming up. Mm-hmm. And just um and just like I think people try to like level up within wealth and socioeconomic status and there's this almost unconscious like this unconscious bias that they think oh if you go dark like if you go date a dark girl that means you're like leveling down like you're lowering yeah. your standards which is definitely not a good way to think.
0: Yeah. Um and going back to this whole fetishization idea, um, especially for East Asian women, you hear this concept of yellow fever that I've heard brought mm-hmm. up so often. I I think for me, especially going to a school where the majority of the students are white and, you know, dating is usually you think of white as like the ideal
1: um, yeah.
0: partner, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's like the stereotype of like the Asian woman with the white man. And it's just... All of it. it goes back to like, I read this short story, I forgot who was by, but it was in the New Yorker. And it was all about this woman who was dating this white man. And the entire time she was dating him, she was like, does he actually like me for me? Or does he have some type of Asian thing he wants to fulfill? And she talks about how like, the fir- their first date, they saw a movie, and it was a Chinese movie. So mm-hmm. all of a sudden, she's like, Oh, my God, he likes me because of my race. So then she mm-hmm. spent the pa- next like months Trying to figure out whether or not he had an Asian fetish. And it was, it was at the same time really funny and really sad because she basically was trying to figure out oh, does this man exclusively date Asian women or does he <laughs> just happen to like that one Chinese movie that we watched together?
1: Right, exactly. And it's, it's, it's like a, yeah, the fetishization is just not, it's not good <laughs> at all. <laughs>
0: Okay, this is another submission um, about kind of fitting in for the stereotype of what an Asian person is. So they said, growing up as an Asian person overall doesn't mean having strict parents, getting 1600s on your SATs, or studying all day. Wow, what a shocker. <laughs> growing up as an Asian person is about being embarrassed by your culture and customs when you're young, when accepting and loving your culture later on because it is so different. As an Indian who came to America when she was 10, I was shocked by the difference between the two lifestyles. And as any immature child would, I tried to change a lot of myself to fit in here by avoiding wearing traditional clothing and wear, wearing clothes that are common here. But now that I'm older, I just laugh at my younger self. Like, why would I try to be someone I'm not and someone I don't even like? It took me some time, but at least I realized that being in touch with your roots doesn't mean wearing a... I don't know how to say that—is It's it? a
1: lehenga le- at a kuja. I a le- that part. Okay. <laughs> doesn't mean wearing a lehenga at a... Uh, or a langa. I'm so... I'm, <laughs> I'm so mad at this At a puja And basically, a puja is like a prayer for people who are Hindu. Like, it's like a prayer Got thing. It. Um, only for Instagram pics and captioning that a culture fit like WTF. <laughs> now I just love showing others that I'm Indian. I don't try to speak with an American accent. I comfortably eat Indian food for lunch at school. I in dance class I wear cortes, which is a type of clothing. My mom spent a lot of time making in the past instead of a baggy T-shirt and leggings. And believe me, I can feel the difference. In a, in in summary. I actually appreciate going through that. I'm extremely embarrassed that I'm Indian phase because I wouldn't be the person I am right now. I just want to say that if you're still embarrassed by your culture, you're truly missing out. So this definitely touches base with like the earlier submission that we were talking about. Um, just because I'm Indian, I definitely relate to this because um, I've always liked my Indian culture. Like when I was in elementary school, I would wear like, like. Indian tops all the time that I would get from like my grandma and stuff that's so cute (laughs) people would be like what is she doing I'm like I'm a fashion icon I don't know about you no honestly you're a trendsetter (laughs) yeah I'm a trendsetter and honestly like just you're the cultural reset like that's it like you are like the coolest person you are for showing your culture and you don't need to assimilate anything you can assimilate but there's nothing wrong with assimilating because a lot of times that's a way for survival or code switching is kind of something that's really common within the asian community and the black community um where you uh switch linguistic registers like that's just for like a professional setting obviously we don't want to code switch like that's not something that should exist but people do that for survival to exist yes. within the professional setting but that is something we have to change within our society we should start having conversations about mm-hmm.
0: I feel like I also relate to this, even though I'm not Indian American, the whole idea of like we moved to America kind of at the same age and this kind of culture shock you feel, especially with clothing. And they talk about kind of like the lunchbox moment people mention a lot where Mm -hmm. you have your food and you're embarrassed by it. And I think for me, it was never even that obvious that, like, I didn't like my Chinese culture, it was kind of, like, it built up over time, especially when you're surrounded by people who all grew up the same way. They all grew up together at my school. Like, they started, they are all been here for so long. Everyone knows each other. Everyone dresses the same way, talks the same way. And I come in out of nowhere from Shanghai, <laughs> and I, like, I don't dress the same. I, I, my English, although not bad, was definitely not the kind where you, like, you're used to speaking in every single day for 10 years, right? Yeah. So I, that moment of, like, kind of realizing there's something fundamentally different about Mm -hmm. what's going on and then be like how can I change that is so harmful especially when you're so young because what you're trying to change isn't like oh I'm trying to change my hair or whatever you're changing like a fundamental part of your identity like I I remember for a really long time I was really embarrassed to um like be Chinese and it wasn't just like I wouldn't tell people like oh I hate being Chinese but it would be like I would beg my mom to go buy me clothes at the same place everyone else goes or I, I would stop telling people that I used to live in China because I was like oh like they don't care like this doesn't matter at all like all it matters is I go here now like this is this is it or just things like I would get embarrassed, like, talking to my parents in Chinese at home sometimes, because I'd be like, oh, everyone's going to think I'm so weird. But it's such, like, little things that, like, this person said, it's embarrassing looking back, because you're like, this is what makes you unique. And it's really, really hard, especially when you're in, like, elementary, middle school. But in the long run, you end up regretting it for hating it.
1: That's for sure. And the whole language thing, like, my family spoke, like, three languages at home, and my English wasn't the best. Like, I wasn't good with like grammar and things. And like, my teacher, like, one of my teachers in sixth grade was like, Oh, your English is bad because you're speaking three languages at home. Your parents should just speak English. And then I'm like, Oh, no. <laughs> okay. at that time, I was like, Oh, that sucks. Like, I have to start speaking English more at home and blah, 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 blah. But then now I'm like, I'm a staff writer and I didn't like, Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like what do you You got mean? there on your own. You didn't need to sacrifice yeah. your culture. Yeah, oh. I don't have to sacrifice anything. And if if anything, like learning three languages is so cool to say. Like that's yeah. just like a cool thing to say. Yeah. And oh. that definitely goes into like whitewashing and how the education system and also just like society in general is everything is whitewashed, like with mm-hmm. everything. And I feel like there's kind of this like trend going on right now where people are trying to be like trying to distance themselves from whiteness just mm-hmm. to be trendy but yeah. like <laughs> yeah especially among white people i've noticed that as well where like it goes back to like
0: cultural appropriation and kind of uh oh. <laughs> um, fishing. but that's a whole other conversation we can
1: talk yeah, about yeah exactly and um, that's and that shows like the duality of how like yeah. society changes when um, something doesn't become trendy anymore. When people start calling out something, they'll be like, oh, I didn't do any of these things. Like yeah. I, wasn't, I wasn't your stereotypical yeah. pumpkin spice girl. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah.
0: And also a part that really struck me was in the beginning, kind of the person who submitted this referred a lot to kind of this assumption that people who are Asian are automatically smart. They're automatically like oh. super hardworking, good in school. Exactly. And this is something I think, Almost every Asian American has struggled with at some point because of just how universal does that. I mean, again, this goes back to the model minority myth. I feel like I can never talk about Asian identity without talking about this because people assume that all Asian people are not just hardworking, but there's also that like they're automatically smart. Yeah, they're genetically smart. Yeah, I've heard people say this and say you're smart because you're Asian and not because you worked hard. Like I, I mean, especially this is again speaking from going to a PWI, but asian students will automatically be assumed to be smarter and like do well in school because they're asian and granted a lot of times there is that correlation but i think that comes more with cultural Mm -hmm. influences like culturally a lot of times especially um immigrant families have Mm -hmm. extra emphasis on working hard in school yeah but it's like i don't want any success i have to be attributed to my race Right. like i want to i want people to say yeah she got there, but that's because she works hard, not because she's Asian or she's whatever, right?
1: It makes me so mad because my whole life, like, I was almost, like, compared to my sister all the time because she was really smart and, like, this is this is a weird relationship because you don't really see this a lot, but, like, I was kind of called, like, oh, she's, like, the dumb sister, but she's Asian, so, like, she's smart, but, like, she's still, like, the dumb sister, which, like, getting compared to that all the time was, like, was very like that almost put me into like this negative feedback loop like I'm not smart so I will not work hard in school and I won't do this and I won't do that but then I was like what like I should just stop (laughs) thinking that way and just I know it's not that easy and it took like years to figure that out but like it's it's a lot of times it's just like like you work hard like I had to work so hard to get the grades that I do and even Mm -hmm. if they're not amazing like it's there's so much work that goes into it and it's not just your race that contributes to that and I think that also goes back to the idea that
0: when you're working hard as an Asian American that's almost seen as like a given like obviously mm-hmm. you personally had to overcome kind of this um almost like mental battle to be like yeah I I do deserve to get what I have like I I can work hard I'm not you know the quote-unquote dumb sister but mm-hmm. it's almost like it kind of discredits a lot of our hard work because it's like oh obviously you're gonna work hard you're Asian no there's still a struggle there yeah. like you know you have to be dedicated and especially in an environment like high school. And I know we're both seniors, so we're going through the whole horrible application process. (laughs) There's all those like negative associations, or I guess in some way they're construed as positive, but no stereotype can ever really be positive. So like that tie between Asians and education is kind of always going to be there. And -hmm. it's something we constantly have to dismantle, even among ourselves, like I think, as Asian Americans, we often embrace it because sometimes it's seen as beneficial to be like, "Yeah, yeah. I am. I
1: am a smart Asian." No, it, so, like <laughs> it's beneficial, like surface level. But when you really mm. think about it, once you're comparing yourself against other other Asian people within the community, you start like overworking yourself and over mm-hmm. like within, like, STEM-based, like, majors or STEM-based classes, you're mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm not getting this A. That means, like, I'm dumb and I just, like, work even harder and even harder and even yeah. harder. But maybe your brain is just not wired that way. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're better at writing or you're better at art or literature. Yeah.
0: There's this automatic association that Asians and STEM are, like, synonymous and I've dealt with this so personally I'm not a huge STEM person anymore I used Mm -hmm. to be super into STEM and I'm more towards the humanities but Mm -hmm. I still love math and that's not because I'm Asian it's because I love math yeah I tell people as a joke I'm like oh I love math they're like oh that's so Asian of you I'm like uh okay (laughs) like um... I'm the
1: opposite you can tell I don't like math so that's like
0: (laughs) (laughs) but it's like it's like just because I like a certain subject doesn't mean it has anything to do with my race right yeah
1: like you wouldn't be like oh
0: you i really like history oh that's so white no No. like there's
1: there's no racialized (laughs) subjects in school exactly i think it's just like conditioning like a lot of people condition people within a specific major specific yeah everything is just Mm -hmm. yeah Okay, so we can move on to the next submission. Um, During the years in elementary and grammar school, I never knew why my dad would tell me to introduce my ethnicity as German first, then as Filipino and Japanese last. It didn't make sense. I never knew I was completely white because I passed as white. My parents are Americanized, especially my mom, since she was born in the Philippines. She never, made a, she never made any Filipino food except once when it was Heritage Day at school. And today, going to a Filipino Asian American Asian market is like a treat instead of going there for everyday groceries. My classmates would make Asian jokes, and I didn't understand the jokes. In high school, I thought I would be friends with others, but they were honors and AP kids, so I never got the chance to talk to them. I also had classmates ask me about math homework, and I'm not great at math, to be honest, um, or any homework, they would ask. I usually c- procrastinated. In college, I always I always was mistaken as Hispanic when I had to ride in new Ubers. I thought about joining the Asian American club, but I didn't feel like I belonged, even though I'm Asian American. I feel as though I'm not Asian enough to join. And even when I transferred to university, I didn't join their Asian American club because I just didn't feel like I belonged there. I'm still struggling to accept my culture and my identity as an Asian American. I consider, I'm consider i considered the Asian friend in the group because I'm the only Asian. I thought that having no Asian friends would affect me, but I feel like I want Asian friends. I want to feel like I belong. The internet has helped me a little because I don't feel alone. In Anthony's Padilla's post about interviews with Asian-Americans, I found other people who were also experiencing what I'm going through. On Instagram, I see Asian and Asian-American influencers that inspired me to one day feel confident in my identity. Reading books written by Asian authors have helped me also cope. with cool. oh, Yeah.
0: I feel like this is a really good example of the struggle especially by a lot of mixed race people whether Mm -hmm. Asian or not but especially within the Asian community there's this idea of being torn between two cultures and not feeling Asian enough Mm -hmm. and I've definitely had conversations with people who are half Asian or part Asian saying that like at my school we have affinity groups but they're like oh I don't feel Asian enough to join or I shouldn't join because I don't really like everyone else is so Asian I'm like white or whatever other ethnicity yeah. and even if you identify there's kind of like i mean it goes back to what we were saying before about just being asian american you have that um in between the two the two different sides that you have to figure out but then on top of that when you have a different race then it's even harder because you don't know how to choose one or the other and there's a like, i mean i think it's going back to the fact that it's kind of a universal struggle i um, among mixed people that you can't be accepted by either community because you have to choose one or the other
1: um exactly and i'm not like mixed race but i definitely do identify as multi-ethnic because something that people don't realize about indian culture is that it's there's so many like different cultures i've heard about this Yeah. Like North
0: Indian versus South Indian culture is completely different. Really and different. Like you can't really ask someone who's North Indian to talk about like South Indian customs, but then especially in the U S people kind of assume mm-hmm. it's all the same.
1: Exactly. Uh. Yeah. And like, I'm, just even though like I'm just South Indian I'm two different types of South Indian like I'm there's two different ethnic groups like one is called um being Malayali and one is Tamil and they have two different languages associated with it too and then I'm also American so like that's like three ethnic groups kind Mm -hmm. of like competing with each other and what's interesting is like sometimes I won't like fit in with a specific Indian community because I'm not Tamil enough or I won't fit in within a specific Malayali community because I'm not Malayali enough or I'm not American enough so it's like these three things where I don't feel like I'm enough in any of them (laughs) and it's just yeah confusion but yeah and that's something that you know I definitely relate to that kind of like mixed identity that mixed feeling like you feel torn between two cultures Mm -hmm. And then I think they,
0: this submission also talks about how isolating that is. When you are torn, you feel like you just want to have other people who relate and then kind of being tokenized as the Asian friend. I have been called the token Asian friend so many times before, which is also really ironic because I have other friends who are Asian, but I'm still considered the token Asian friend. And it goes back to what we were saying kind of in early in the episode that, like, even though racial identity is a huge part of your identity, it shouldn't be the only part of your identity like you should never exactly. be seen only for your race and this i think this submission really highlights how when you have an internal struggle and then externally people are still kind of placing these labels on you they're still expecting certain things from you like they were talking about the math thing which is kind of funny because you were just talking about math. yeah <laughs> um it's like it it kind of doubles the battle even more because you have to find your own thing and then
1: outside people are still trying to force you into a category. Exactly. And I kind of relate with that experience as well because in elementary school I went to like not like a predominantly white school but it was pretty like white or like other ethnicities and there weren't that many like Asian kids and there weren't that many Indian kids so like it was hard to like find people to relate to so that I found myself like assimilating but then once I moved again I went to a school with a lot of Asian kids and a lot of Indian kids so then I found myself kind of like shocked like that's so many like and then immediately I was like immersed with this people who like I related to and everything but then I also found myself like isolated within the group because I didn't relate to a lot of the things too. And yeah, and when you were talking about tokenism, that really relates within the entertainment industry as well mm-hmm. and how there, there are Asian, token Asian characters, there are token mm-hmm. black characters and token Indian characters. Like that is also something that mm-hmm. should be brought to the table.
0: Um, kind of going back to what you were saying about that overwhelming effect, I've definitely felt that as well. And this is my own issues I have to deal with that I acknowledge that I need to address. But even going back to like applying for college right now, and I'm thinking about where I want to spend the next four years of my life, I have said to myself and my family, like, I am genuinely nervous to go to a school that has a really large Asian population, because I just feel like I wouldn't fit in anymore. I feel like I've been at a predominantly white institution for too long. And even when I was in China, I wasn't really part of of like the Chinese community. So I've never, even when I meet people over the summer through different programs, I never feel like I relate to the people that are actually from China, not Chinese American. And then among people who grew up surrounded by a really strong Asian community, I feel like I don't fit in there either. And like, it's definitely problematic that I feel that way. And I don't want to diminish it. I get it but it's just like it's so hard because I'm like now I feel
1: like I'm not Asian enough and I'm scared to be with people <laughs> like me like that's so I get hard it. I get it I mean I came into a school with a lot of Asians but then I found myself only having like two Asian friends or two Indian yeah. friends which like that makes me seem like that makes me seem kind of sketch like that's like uh, you
0: know? <laughs> yeah <laughs> but,
1: it's, but it's also like that's what I'm comfortable with at mm-hmm. the moment like I can have friends outside of school that are like Asian and are Indian but when it comes yeah. to like in school it was just like also because I was like the token Duncan <laughs> it made me, made me so uncomfortable like, oh, no no no, you're <laughs> fine
0: um no I, I that's just like it's especially with friends I think it's such a tough thing to figure out and that's why like going into I guess the rest of our lives I want to be conscious about who I'm surrounding myself with. And I want to make sure I am, you know, having diverse friends and hearing new perspectives all the time. But it's also just like, it is intimidating when you feel like you're not enough of a certain ethnicity.
1: So this is another submission. Um, While I am Asian, I was born in China, I don't feel Asian. I was adopted as a baby, and I feel like it affects my life, as well as my family. Growing up in school, I was one of the few Asian kids in my entire grade. I moved when I started in middle school and met a lot of friends who are Asian. I started to feel disconnected with my culture since I don't have a traditional Asian family. My mother is Italian. I don't know how to speak Chinese, I don't eat traditional Asian meals, I don't have an Asian surname, and none of my family is Asian besides my two sisters. During middle school, I felt less Asian than my Asian peers. I would also experience indirect and direct racism on multiple occasions. My science teacher would confuse me or my friend who was also Asian and, wouldn't even, and we didn't even look alike. Yeah. Um, that's something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's like the identity crisis,
0: I guess, of a lot of adopted children, especially from Asia because
1: mm-hmm.
0: there's it's weird because when we talk about our asian a lot of the pride we get comes from culture and it doesn't just come from just our racial identity. It's the culture that we're allowed to celebrate and embrace and it's what allows us to kind of reconcile any racial differences we have. But then, especially for people who didn't grow up with an Asian household, there's not that culture you can grasp onto. So I get that the entire kind of identity struggle you face is so much more amplified because it's like you feel disconnected to your culture but then at the same time you're still kind of what's the word I wasn't gonna say oppressed I forgot the um marginalized that's the word yeah <laughs> you're marginalized for your race at the same time um and I think it's a lot goes back to this assumption of all Asians are the same. Like that's how people mm-hmm. get confused all the time. Cause that's happened to me so many times. Also, <laughs> I'm sure you've gone through it as well. Yeah. That You know, it's even if you, you have that cultural disconnect, you're still grouped into the same way because of the way you look. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And it, And I, the name thing, like, that has happened to me, like, so many times and so many occasions. And especially because my name is also really hard to, like, pronounce sometimes. So I'm, like, forgiving about it. Like, I'm, like, I get it. Like, my name's hard to pronounce. (laughs) But um, no, but still, it's like, like if if we can, I saw somewhere that's like, if we can learn how to say Michelangelo, we can say all names. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And especially because when it lasts for like a year or like two years like that's like when it gets to that point and when it's someone that you see like on a regular basis or you have a teacher that you have on a regular basis it gets really annoying and it gets like it's just not it's just not fun to go through that over and over again yeah and yeah um another thing that kind of touches base with like the whole adopted um, like identity crisis thing is a lot of times white saviorism is kind of associated Mm -hmm. with that. You see in a lot of like African countries and Asian countries, um, there are higher rates of adopting children because sometimes there is higher poverty rates Mm -hmm. in certain countries. And sometimes um, white people who don't have the opportunity to have children decide to adopt in a different country um and they adopt in China, they adopt in India, they adopt in some different countries and that touches base with white saviorism. Do you want to explain what white saviorism yeah. is? So I think I wanna
0: make sure I'm saying this right, but i am um white saviorship is kind of this idea that white Westerners specifically have almost this mm-hmm. obligation and responsibility to go to yeah. what's considered like the global south. Um, which okay. I think is a little bit of an outdated term, but generally less developed countries than or just non-western countries and go yeah. and kind of help people there and you mm-hmm. see this a lot this is a really big critique for a lot of missionary trips for a lot of this idea yeah. that like the problems of non-western countries can be fixed by western people or by western culture um and i i don't ever want to discredit people who are adopted from these countries because yeah. it definitely like it's still a good thing right you're giving a home yeah. and family but There is that trend of, like, white people going into countries and, like, helping them. Like, I was just talking about this today with a friend, especially when you see charity trips. And I know myself, even though I'm not white, Mm -hmm. I've definitely, without realizing, engaged in this type of behavior with, like, Mm -hmm. thinking that because we're Westernized, we can help other people. And that Western culture, it's this idea that Western culture is inherently superior, and even though it's not yeah. like a conscious decision,
1: it's like, oh, Westerners can help you. You could be better if we're here. So, and that, yeah, that goes into like the term like developing countries mm-hmm. and like sometimes when I think like when I see pictures of like uh, different like African countries, like they're super developed like they have cities they have they have like they look almost as developed as like an American town Mm -hmm. like or like a year a town in Europe or something like that and in in India for example a lot of times people think of India as this like super bustling and super like crowded Mm -hmm. place which is true in some cases you'll also see super super developed cities and the other side of a a specific country that's considered developing is usually not seen in the media which Mm -hmm. can get annoying at times
0: yeah I definitely struggle a lot with the language we use, as you can tell from the way I was talking. Because no, you're totally um, fine. I don't it's... know if you've seen the map of what's considered the global north and the global south, but the way it's drawn, I forgot it was drawn in like sometime in the 20th century. They literally mm-hmm. go around all of Europe and North America, and then they just hop right on down to Australia, circle that, and then go back up. And it's just, it's such an arbitrary boundary of what is considered a good country almost versus a bad country and the same with mm-hmm. developing and even when you say western versus non-western that says like western is the ideal um a, a lot, lot of the language you used to describe these countries is completely centered around what narrative we're consuming and for us as asian americans it's this american narrative that america is like the best country and everyone else is kind <laughs> of like struggling below oh um, and yeah. I, I see that especially i saw something online about how like there's this yellow filter they put on all countries especially countries like india or other countries in the middle east or some african countries that like movies and tv shows tend to put this yellow dusty filter on everything to make it seem um like i don't even know like a third world country is kind of the idea they're trying to promote
1: exactly yeah and like when I when I see like documentaries about like India and I'm sure like probably a lot of African Americans think this way or Africans think this way when they see documentaries about Africa like it's not like your individual experience with it and it just seems so different Mm -hmm. because there is poverty like there's poverty in the U.S. like we we have poverty in the U.S. we have poverty in Africa we have it in India we have in Asian countries but they shed it in such a light that it's like it's only poverty that exists in this country like there's nothing there's no part of it that's developing it's only poverty
0: yeah i see the same thing with china less with the i mean there's still such a wealth gap in china that's a huge issue there um but china kind of in the media went from like oh they're super like closed off to look at all this wealth in china everything there is perfect and and personally, even if my family, we don't really watch a lot of the documentaries and shows that come out about China because a lot of times it just ends up being like, this is not representative of my experience and it it, mm-hmm. it has this agenda in it, right? Like every, all media yes. we consume has agenda, but a lot of times it's almost seen as like propaganda against a certain country, even mm-hmm. despite like all the political stuff behind it, there's still that like cultural connection we have that we don't want to see disrupted like this. Exactly. This is the last one. Ugh, I'm going to hate saying it. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's okay. This is a new submission that says One thing was clear to me growing up as an Asian American that I was different. And I'm not talking about my personality, I'm talking about kids that looked at me and wondered why I had chinky eyes. I- Hate that word. Anyways, My first experience of self-identity was through bullying. I knew I was different because of my eyes, nose, and yellow golden skin color. I found out the hard way and knew I wouldn't do anything about my looks. So I cried. Fast forward to teenage years and I'm well aware of my identity. Not everyone was interested in me, maybe because I didn't talk much or maybe it was intimidating to date a cultured Asian girl that probably eats quote unquote weird food. I'm sure you could say I was that quiet asian girl but little do people know i was only observing their ignorance to assure myself they'd be a waste of time ha! ha. yes happy being alone <laughs> no one could ever understand how it felt to be different to be stereotyped in a category that assumed whatever it was that described asians what i actually found disturbing if i'm completely honest majority of the prejudice and discrimination i received was from people of color minorities and even my own people It's a battlefield with minorities because you've got to be cultured enough to be Asian or, in other cases, strong enough to back yourself up when others want to hurt you. It's a battlefield with whites because you are questioned if you're American enough, questioned if you belong here, questioned if you speak the language or not. The experience of being an Asian person in America is overwhelming. Would I have wanted it any other way? absolutely change needs to happen with the acceptance of diversity america is a salad bowl we got (laughs) to learn to complement one another's differences and i believe that begins with education our school systems need to change and do better we are diving into a different world than the earlier times of america we all need to ask for change take actions vote and engage
1: yes that was so well put Mm -hmm. i think that was such a good response and how to um really like dissect the experience of being Asian American um I like the quote like America is a salad Mm -hmm. bowl like people always call America like the melting pot. like there's so many different cultures everyone (laughs) accepts the culture everyone's like kumbaya together hug yeah (laughs) but if you're Asian if you're a person of color you know that like
0: it's it's isolating it's not like we're all melting together we're still our (laughs) own (laughs) ingredients
1: Yeah, like, there's still so much discrimination within the community, Mm -hmm. and there's still so much, like, and it's not, like, as an Asian American, you know that there is a certain level of privilege that is associated with us, but, and we should be allies with other POC people, especially Indigenous and Black people who experience discrimination way more than we do, Mm -hmm. a lot of more fronts, but still, it's not a melting pot. That's just, like, a false Mm -hmm. idea that's been perpetrated.
0: Yeah, I feel like... This is a really good conclusion to the submissions, I guess, because it kind of encompasses everything we've brought up. We've brought up, like, the idea of specific beauty standards, this kind of cultural dissonance, and then this internalized racism people feel a lot of the time, especially within um, Asian communities. This idea that, like, you have to be Asian enough or you are not American enough. Um, I've had that. I actually recorded another episode the other day that I have yet to edit with my friends where I brought up this <laughs> story I have about when I was younger and I was in China. I was super proud of being American. I was like, I am American, which is problematic. But also, I'll give my, cut myself aside. I was like five years old. I was just happy to be American. And I was telling my cousin, I was like, I'm American. And he was like, you're not American. Like, if, you're, if you were American, you would have blonde hair and blue eyes. And I was just like, what the what? like How does that have anything to do with being American? But being, you know, five years old, I was like, oh, you're right. I'm not really American. But like, mm-hmm. that's the same idea that like, especially for POC, there's no way of seeming American enough, especially when I think black Americans and white Americans are automatically as as American, but almost anyone in between is not um, really American. And I think it goes to the immigrant experience but it's also just this association between americanness and whiteness that makes the asian-american experience so difficult because they're seen as opposites
1: exactly and that's just like i think the peace project had one of i think it was like a skinny white girl or something like Mm -hmm. there was a there was a piece about that and i that piece was amazing and that really encompassed that idea of like how like beauty standards mm. it's all seen as like this white perspective this eurocentric perspective and america itself is seen as that before we hop into
0: the next section that's about kind of advice that we questions and comments we got from submissions we want to disclaim that this is only based on our personal experiences perspectives so we don't want to generalize any advice or just opinions we've stated here because we can't represent every Asian American's experience I'm obviously coming from an East Asian perspective and Benicia is coming from a South Asian perspective and uh, being Asian is not a monolith and that's something we always try to emphasize at the Peace Project there's so much diversity within Asian Americans so we never want to say or claim that we know how everyone feels about anything. We try to speak from the I perspective, all that good stuff. Um,
1: Yeah. And if you're like an Asian, if you're a minority within the Asian community itself, I would say you should definitely submit because we want to hear your perspective mm -hmm. at at the Peace Project. Um, Okay, so the first question that we got is, do you also feel like you don't believe in, you don't belong in Asian American groups, even though you're Asian? Are you still struggling to accept that identity? So we definitely, like, have covered yeah. this pretty extensively. Um,
0: I definitely feel like I I belong to an extent. Like, I mentioned this a little bit, that I'm almost afraid of being in groups with a lot of Asian American people. And to be honest, the Peace Project has definitely helped with this a lot, seeing just it's just such a positive community of just Asian people. And it's just the best way ever to kind of embrace that side of me. But I definitely do struggle with accepting it. Um, I I don't think anyone's ever really able to fully reconcile this type of cultural distance that we were talking about, because at the end of the day, it's like an ongoing battle that you have to just work little by little. And it, it takes a really long time to fully accept it. But I hope that as I, keep on growing up because we're obviously still teenagers I'm able to strike that balance even better and see why like that unique identity is so valuable and we shouldn't be forced to choose one or the other
1: exactly um within the same vein I think like for me personally I kind of touched into this like sometimes I feel like in school I won't have that many Asian friends but outside of school I have a bunch Mm -hmm. of Asian friends and I know that's like that's that's something that's actually pretty common with a lot of people who are, like, Indian-American, which I've seen, just because, like, there's this, like, thing with, like, oh, if you're friends with all the Indian kids, like, you're you're going to be, like, the smart kid. Like, you're, all you're focusing on is academics, like that. And if you don't necessarily feel like the most academic person and you like humanities and you, you're not the most, like, STEM person strictly, you feel like you don't fit in mm-hmm. and you don't fit in with the customs. And that also goes into the fact that, i'm catholic and most um, mm-hmm. um i'm progressive catholic by the way <laughs> <laughs> <Don't be scared>. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so um like most most indian americans they're they're hindu or they're muslim mm-hmm. even even being muslim is a minority so you then again you don't fit in within that uh, yeah that portion of there's being an
0: all those expectations for what it means to be asian So Mm -hmm. I would say to this person, um, I guess, I don't know if this is the best advice, but maybe make a conscious effort to reach out to those Asian American groups. And that kind of takes accepting what it feels like to be outside of your comfort zone and kind of pushing the boundaries of like, how can you really embrace your identity? Um, Mm -hmm. But also to kind of go easy on yourself, I guess. It takes so much time to figure this out. This isn't something that happens overnight. And it takes kind of building connection, building coalition with other Asian Americans for you to really feel that security in your identity. Because exactly. it's like I said, it's a continuous process.
1: Um, yeah. And the peace the peace project has a Discord, so you should join yes. it if you want more Asian friends. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's it's <laughs> honestly the peace project is a great way to meet other Asian people, especially if you're like me and you go to school where there really aren't that many people. Mm-hmm. Um, So this really ties into the next submission we got. Um, It says, what advice can you give to any Asian who isn't surrounded by other Asian communities or empathy on our experiences? What tribulations have you experienced regarding your identity versus your race? As much as I have grown from childhood, I still find myself feeling I don't have a place in the Asian community because I was adopted to a white family with no education on Asian history and culture, and I never felt exclusively included by white family, too, due to contrasting values and even just microaggressive racism.
1: Yeah, so that's a very, like, that's kind of a topic that we touched (laughs) on to a bit, but something that I think that really this comes down to is, like, education (laughs) and teaching, like, culturally responsive and culturally empathetic um narratives within the education system because we often like find ourselves just talking about things within a eurocentric pers- perspective and that's something that diverse our narrative mm-hmm. and different educational uh reform organizations like teens take charge and justice in the classroom have been looking into and we the asian community should be voiced within history not just from like you, you shouldn't just learn about, like, Confucius or the yeah. Vietnam War. Yeah. Like, those aren't the only two Asian things that exist. <laughs> yeah. There's so many different... Yeah. Oh, my God. Every time we bring
0: up, like, I remember in my history classes, the only time I saw myself reflected was either Confucius, the Opium War, which is... That's not a positive representation no. of Chinese culture, or it's just, like, um oh, immigration to the
1: U.S. Exactly. Yeah, and it's... And that's, there's so many cool things that have yeah. gone on and there's so many bad things too that have gone on that haven't been shed mm-hmm. light onto, like the, the race of Nanking. like yeah. no one talks about that, but that's really tough. That's a really important topic yeah. to bring up.
0: Oh my God. Especially when we talk about something like World War Two. I feel like my school doesn't even address the fact that there isn't an official date because people see it differently. <laughs> like <Exactly. laughs> the, the biggest, one of the biggest wars in the history of, you know, modern civilization has multiple interpretations and we don't even talk about the multiple interpretations. <laughs>
1: don't. Um, it's, yeah. And that was it. That's like an entire yeah. myth on its own. but to touch a little bit on microaggressions, um, that's definitely something that the Asian community has also perpetuated and also experienced through themselves. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of times the Asian community, there is anti-Blackness within the Asian mm-hmm. community and that's something that needs to be addressed um for like within colorism and within just thinking like oh like the common stereotypes of being a black person but then also we experience uh microaggressions like the different stereotypes we touched based on um this is actually kind
0: of a tangent but my monthly piece for the peace project this week actually is about microaggressions and i was feeling a little bit hesitant about it and i'm still kind of working through how i want to approach this but mm-hmm. in the conversation with my friend, who I was just kind of like, oh, I'm scared about talking about this because I feel like, i am I, like, being too much? Like, am I saying that everything's racism when it's not? But when you're talking about how, like, microaggressions are essentially the foundation of institutional racism, it all exactly. starts on a really small interpersonal scale. And they're all just yeah. symptoms of a larger systemic issue. So
1: mm-hmm.
0: even though it's... um, It seems like a minor annoyance yeah, sometimes. It's, it's like you need to, that's how you stop it, right? Like you can't, systemic racism isn't going to go away if everyone's like, I don't know, they do whatever and they're like, okay, it's done in two days. We're done with yeah. racism in a month. Like we have to start on such a small scale, almost like a microscopic scale. And every time one of these things happen, you have to recognize why it's wrong and why it's not just a rude comment. It's not just mm-hmm. um, an offensive joke. It's really kind of contributing to this larger issue that we can only dismantle if we start on this personal level
1: yeah and I'm also writing my piece on like educational reform and going into that um I was reading this quote that was like when you approach racism you should approach it with a developmental mindset meaning that you're not anti-racist or you're not racist like you just have to think like like you're not either of the two extremes you're, mm-hmm. you just have to constantly be checking your biases your implicit biases your subconscious biases any microaggressions that you are saying within a classroom or with, outside of a classroom just within society in general mm-hmm. because then you're starting to check yourself and then you're trying you're starting to see am I am I offending anyone am I hurting anyone unintentionally or intentionally and am I being actively racist mm-hmm. which is important yeah
0: And to kind of just wrap up this submission, I would say going back to the first question um, the submission posed about what advice can you give to people who aren't surrounded by an Asian community? The number one thing I can say is what Padishia said with education. I think it's like find if you can't find it in your local community, find it through the internet. The internet has so many resources or find it through literature or really media. Anything that can kind of help you explore identity even though it's not um, through a physical community i guess i know one of the earlier submissions recommended that we read asian authors which for me has been so empowering seeing your own experiences written on paper because i mean growing up we really don't see that reflected and that goes back to everything you we're saying about educational reform and how we need to see those diverse perspectives reflected and if our schools or our Districts or our systems are not going to do that for us. We need to do that ourselves. And that's how we can find that security and almost like Mm -hmm. that safe haven of what it really means to be Asian American when you're not Mm -hmm. directly surrounded by people who are.
1: Yeah. And that really wraps up everything that we have to Mm -hmm. talk about. So um, we'll definitely dive into some of the topics that we touched on in future episodes Mm -hmm. in more detail and more research and really like dive into it. Because we did bring up a lot of important mm-hmm. things. Um, yeah. Well, that's all for today. That is all we have. So I think the plan for the Peace Project
0: is to keep this submission form up. Um, it's closed right now because we had to close it up when we were making this episode. But we hope to open it back up so that we can kind of address a lot of these comments in every episode from now on. Um, But that's still something we have to figure out internally because we love hearing from our community members. And I think this has been a really great experience for Benicia and myself as well, hearing Mm -hmm. about it. And also it really just reminds us like how common a lot of our experiences are. Like we really we feel alone, but at the end of the day, we're not. Everyone is really going through the same thing. Um, And.
1: We hope you stay involved with the Peace
0: Project. Yes, um,
1: please. We, we're, we're responsive to every like criticism, yeah. anything that you guys have to say within the podcast, or within the platform in general, we wanna hear it because we made the platform for everyone in the Asian community and everyone outside of the Asian community yeah. too. Um, so yeah, and our, mo- our main goal of the podcast was to include people um, within the Peace Project community. Yeah. So please submit answers. Yeah
0: quick plug for the peace project the peace shop is still up and running we actually currently have a giveaway that i hope is still going on when this episode goes out but i'm not 100 sure so make sure to check out the peace shop plate page Um, to see if that's still running. And check out the stickers. They're really cool. If you buy any of them, not only are you supporting a young Asian creative, but you're also donating to a good cause because all of the profits we make from the stickers will either be going to the Marsha P. Johnson Institute, um, Womankind, or Welcome to Chinatown. So it's a win-win-win situation. You get a cool sticker, you're supporting a creative, and you're donating to a good cause. So make sure to check that out. And as always, our page is constantly... Make sure to follow... What am I saying? Make sure to follow the Peace Project on Instagram. Um, is it subscribe to our playlist? I don't know how playlist... I mean, not playlist. Subscribe uh, to our... Like our, our playlist. Like our playlist. <laughs> um, subscribe to our podcast.
1: Check out the website. Join the Discord. We have all this media going on. So um, <laughs> we... we... We're not just like, I know like we got really popular with infographics, but we're not just infographics. We have a podcast, we have writing, we have art. We have so much on our Mm -hmm. website. So definitely check it
0: out. Yes. Um, And our submissions are always open. So if you have an essay or an art
1: piece that you would like to have highlighted on our page, make sure to check it out through the website. Yeah. These are amazing. So like some of these submissions are amazing for writing pieces. So definitely look, submit your pieces if you have any. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank for listening. you so
0: much for coming. See you soon. Oh, we were supposed to say peace out at the end, right? Oh, <laughs> peace out. Peace out. <laughs>